Hey, Darren, I'm watching the best show on television. You want to know what it is? What is it? I think I know, but what is it? Inglorious Trexperts. <laughs> and you're thinking to yourself, that's wait a second, that's not say. a TV show. It's but not it a, is. But it is. It, it is. is. It's a TV show because you can watch us on the Electric Now app. It's an app for streaming video podcasts as well as movies, television, and more. You can see us on demand on Electric Now. I demand it. I demand because I demand it. <laughs> Commodore Stone can watch us on the Electric Now app. And how do you get the Electric Now app? Because apparently people are having trouble understanding the concept. Just go to your app store from whatever device you're using or all of the devices you're using. And you download it to your phone, your iPad, your Roku, your whatever, whatever you, whatever you, whatever you have that streams. Other than a Viewmaster, you download it and, and then you watch it 100% free. There's no charge. Yeah. There's no Patreon. There's no Electronic Frontier. All there is is a free app. So download the Electric Now app from your favorite app store and watch us on Electric Now. You must learn to listen to the Rebel and the Rogue or you will not be allowed to come with me to Alderaan. If you're a fan of the 430 movie, you'll love Best Movies Never Made, hosted by myself, Josh Miller. And Steven Scarlatta. Where we explore some of the greatest movies never made, like E.T. 2. Johnny Quest. Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian. And Halloween 3D. New episodes available every other Monday, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman, and if you're a fan of the only gentleman secret agent with a license to kill and thrill, you should pick up my new James Bond oral history, Nobody Does It Better, available now in hardcover, audio, and digital wherever books are sold. Do you expect me to read? No, I expect you to buy it. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And this is Darren Dockerman, and we are the Inglorious Trexperts. And we're back. We're back, baby. <laughs> we're back with a vengeance. Last week, <laughs> last, week uh, last week, you heard a fantastic staged reading of Mud's Prize. But this week, we're back with an interview. We're, we're back talking, talking the Trek. Um, and uh, I, we have a very interesting guest. Um, uh, producer, director, David Zaponi is with us. David is um, uh, the producer of uh, films like uh, uh, William Shatner's The Captains. He worked with Bill on um, Chaos on the Bridge and Get a Life. Uh, had some great Shatner stories, um, having worked with Bill on those sort of seminal Trek documentaries. He also um, produced uh, For the Love Spock, directed by Adam Nimoy. And uh, the recent Deep Space Nine documentary, What We Left Behind, which he co-directed with Ira Stephen Bear. And he's presently working on a Star Trek Voyager anniversary documentary that he's deep into uh, working on. So David has a lot of interesting uh, stories. And uh, this new uh, complete set of the documentaries, uh, the Shatner documentaries, The Captain's Collection, which includes The Captain's Close-Up, which is a bunch of uh, unreleased material, bonus material, is going to be released by Shout Factory and is a great holiday gift. Um, one of the things I'm excited about is the vinyl edition of Half 
has been, which we'll talk about. But uh, this new Captain's Collection is available from Shout Factory. You can buy it wherever you buy your Blu-rays or directly from Shout Factory at shoutfactory.com where it's available for sale with additional bonus material. So um, it'll without, be- uh, Without further ado. <laughs> or as you always say from my Spinal Tap, so enough of our yakking, let's go talk to David. And here we are. Great. Well, welcome, David. Good to have you on the show. Thank you. And uh, we've been talking about this for a while, but we found a good reason to have you with Shout Factory's release of uh, all these uh, documentaries that you did with uh, Bill Shatner, The Captains, um, obviously Chaos on the Bridge, uh, Get a Life, and uh, there's some great bonus features uh, on the Shout Factory uh, in addition to what over an hour on the the normal edition, the special edition has the Gonzo Ballet that Shatner did a couple years ago, and you yeah. chronicled for posterity, and uh, an interview with Christopher Plummer, which I'm really looking forward to seeing. And I gotta and, say, Mark, that disc is the one that I might be the most proud of because that's called the Captain's Close Up. I think most fans are available are, are familiar with the Captains. That was the 97 minute feature. Right. But what we did, Epic said, you know, you guys shot so much footage. Why don't you go do a mini series about all the captains? So we did five individual episodes specifically focused on each captain. Mm -hmm. And then we did a sixth, which was not shown in this country. It was shown in Canada in a shorter version for Chris Plummer, which was 45 minutes. So you're seeing stuff that really hasn't been seen. And the feature is 97 minutes. You're looking here at over three hours of new material. Yeah. So for people who've seen these documentaries on Netflix or have bought the individual, there's a whole wealth of new material to be mined here that you haven't seen. And of course, uh, the Shout Factory edition also has one of my favorite bonus features, the vinyl edition of Has Been, which, uh, yeah. you know, is Shatner's fabulous album. And I even say that uh, sarcastically i love has been yeah. i think that is such a great album uh and uh, some wonderful songs i mean his version of uh, common people is is his cover of common people Joe jackson is freaking great but it's also probably the most honest he's been dealing with death mm -hmm. and of course uh, sadly dealing with noreen's passing and it's just a great and fame it's just a great yeah. album well you were working with him around that time right pretty much it was a little before that when I did free enterprise. It was probably a couple of years before has been, but okay. I, I think his experience of doing the, the rap with uh, and, and, and getting back to singing and, and, uh, and the re response that that got sort of galvanized his interest again yeah. in, in singing, because then he did a series of albums, most of which were novelty albums, like the, uh, the one well, where he covered a bunch it, of classic sci-fi songs. She came from Greece. She had a thirst for knowledge. She studied sculpture at St. Martin's College. That's where I caught her eye. She told me that her dad was loaded. I said, in that case, I'll have a rum and Coca-Cola. She said, fine. And in 30 seconds time, she said, I want to live like common people. I want to do whatever common people do. I want to sleep with common people. I want to sleep with common people like you. Well, what else could I do? I said, I'll see what I can do. I took her to a supermarket. I don't know why, but I had to start it somewhere. So it started there. 
I said, pretend you've got no money. She just laughed and said, oh, you're so funny. I said, yeah? Well, I can't see anyone else smiling in here. Are you sure? You want to live like common people? You want to see whatever common people see? You want to sleep with common people? You want to sleep with common people like me? But she didn't understand. She just smiled and held my hand. Went to flats above a shop. Cut your hair and get a job. Smoke some slabs and play some pool. Pretend you never went to school. But still you'll never get it right. When you're lying in bed at night. Watching roaches climb the wall. If you called your dad, he could stop it all here. You'll never live like common people. You'll never do whatever common people do. You'll never fail like common people. You'll never watch your life slide out of you and dance and drink and screw. Cause there's nothing, Cause else, there's to nothing else to do. Yeah, Gonzo Ballet, we talk about it. Um, Shout Factory, or, or sorry, um, Rhino, uh, Golden Throats. Time, right? It was Rhino right. Records. They came to him and said, look, we want to have fun. We want to release your 60s, uh, Lucy in the Sky with Diamond and Tambourine Man. And your film probably helped to really just get that back into the consciousness. And then Ben Fold said, wait a minute, this guy's for real. Let's do a real album with him. And said, so, wait that, a minute, I'll see what I can do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, Bill's first question is, he says in the documentary when they called him, is there any money in it? <laughs> <laughs> I, I've heard that question. Yeah, before. we've all heard that. Uh, <laughs> you can't, and, hey, you can't blame the guy. Not at all. And so when no, I met him on the set of Boston Legal, he had kind of this mishmash of uh, ballet and music and video. And he's like, David, you're a producer. See what you can do with this. And so we turned it into Gonzo Ballet, and it ended up winning the Marbella International Film Festival, Nashville uh, Film Festival, San Diego, great review and variety, and that kind of got us going. That's really funny because you anticipated my next question, which, of course, was what was the genesis of all this? How did you meet Bill and how did you end up, uh, you know, doing this for the last 10 years of your life? Uh, you know, sort of you entered the Star Trek universe and then never left. So you, yeah. you touched on that. You met him on the set of Boston Legal. This is back when you were acting, right? Am I right? Yeah, I was, um, I was acting and producing. It was a um, thank you. You know, he does a Hollywood charity horse show every year. Right. And Bill raises about half a million dollars for local children's charities. And I was lucky enough over the years to become a member of the committee. So I've become quite close to that. But in the beginning, we uh, donated a high item uh, auction item for him mm. to auction off. And he ended up raising a lot of money. So as a thank you, he was able to uh, invite me to the set of Boston Legal just as a thank you. Right. And driving down to Manhattan Beach, I said to my partner at the time, we have to tell him we're producers because this man always has a project. And right. I'm not joking. Here he is in Denny Crane regalia. And he pulls out of his pocket a, uh, a Gonzo Ballet rough cut and said, see what you could do with this. And so that started the whole thing. 
Yeah, that's uh, yeah. that sounds like Bill. We had the same thing with Free Enterprise. He had done this paragliding thing with Larry Hagman, and he had shot oh, some like behind some really you know raw footage of them, you know, in uh, up in Valencia or whatever. Um, and uh, and he said, hey, "Yeah, you can we can this be a reality series?" And you know, he basically wanted to cut a sizzle reel out of it, uh, you know, and it didn't. It never went anywhere, but it was like. There's not a moment of his life, I think, that he doesn't think, how can I monetize this? He always how can has I an angle. Turn yeah. this into There's something. always an angle. I love well, guys, that. Guys, check out the captain's close-up. I mean, that's what the whole theme of that is. Right. Is we're following him and his wife and his kids and uh, coming up with music videos. I mean, it's just constant. That you, Mark, you've been in his office. It's phone call yeah. after phone call, meeting after meeting, and it's still going. It's incredible. And that's what keeps him young. I mean, yeah. that's why anyone who's seen him or been around him would not believe, you know, that he's in his late eighties. I mean, you think yep. this is a guy I in his fifties. I mean, he's amazing. Yeah. So let me ask you, were you a Star Trek fan at all? When you, was this a sort of opportunity meeting, you know, perspiration or was it as Robert Evans would say, or was it like you were a Star Trek fan and this was like a cool thing to do with Shatner because you already had this uh, affinity for it. Oh, no, I was a fan and I came out to Hollywood as an actor, but that was just a conceit to really become uh, a producer. And I had already done some acting in Florida with Burt Reynolds, who was another one of my mentors, guy I really, really loved. And no, the Shatner thing was totally serendipitous. I didn't seek him out, uh, wasn't stalking him. It was just so... The company I worked for over at Raleigh Studios was offered two tickets to the charity horse show. Okay. And I went as a guest. And when he called back, uh, we had wealthy investors with us that said, we want to donate something to that. So that's how it happened. It's mm -hmm. total luck. Mm -hmm. But yes, I was a fan from seven, six, seven years old. I grew up in New York City. So, uh, or outside of New York City. So WPIX, you know, watching, uh, Star Trek, uh, Honeymooners, Odd Couple, all those great shows. All of Star us have that same background because I'm, yeah, from, same uh, line, I'm from New yeah. Jersey as well. So I watched the. You were in the tri state area. Yep. You had cable. Absolutely. You had to be influenced by picks. Yeah. So that. Yeah. yeah. So I was a huge fan. So when you guys decided to collaborate on, on the captains, how much of a challenge was it as a producer? First of all, because you didn't have the. Involvement of uh, Paramount or CBS, uh, no. uh, as, as, and and uh, so not only do you have to license all those clips, or you know somehow use fair use to to be able to to use them, um, and and then Which also we didn't, do, by the the we didn't go fair use, yeah. No, so do you ended up paying to license all mm -hmm. the clips then? Yep. Yeah, which is not cheap, as anyone will will tell you. And even Paramount has had problems using their own clips uh, because yeah, of eternally. the litigiousness yeah. of the actors. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I can't imagine that was easy. And then, of course, you know, Shatner had also been very outspoken as, as having not a lot of interest in the other shows beyond his own. Um, so how difficult was it to sort of rope in the talent for that? Because, of course, the captains, you know, presumably you're going to have all the captains. It's not going to be one captain or two captains. It's going to be everybody. Night. A classically trained actor on a path to movie stardom when his voyage took an unexpected turn. Phasers, fire. And they got a call from a guy named Roddenberry who said, we've shot a pilot. 
and it didn't sell, but they said recast it and we'll take another look. What happened next? Is out of this world. Captain James Kirk, Starship Enterprise. This is Captain Jean-Luc Picard. Captain Benjamin Sisko. This is Captain Catherine Janeway. Captain Jonathan Archer. Captain James C. Kirk of the USS Enterprise. But for a captain... Scotty, beam me up. The voyage of self-discovery knows no bounds. I realize, but I'm slightly embarrassed by Star Trek. For the first time... This is new, baby. I, I've never done such a thing. For the only time, five accomplished actors interviewed by the one man who started it all. Did you ever see the Star Trek I did? No. Had you ever heard of me? Possibly. Possibly not. And right. how, how much of a challenge was that in terms of getting everyone on board for that documentary? Well, I think what made it easy was the first one we approached was Patrick Stewart. Mm -hmm. And Bill and Patrick had a friendship uh, based upon Star Trek Generations. And so they had a mutual respect for each other. So that really wasn't difficult. Uh, Kate, same thing. They had a mutual respect. Uh, Scott Bakula had never met Shatner, believe it or not, but was in awe of him. So that was an easy yes. And then Chris Pine, kind of a funny brief story. He and I shared the same trainer at the Paramount Gym, a guy named Mark Monroe. And Mark was kind enough to schedule our workouts back to back so I could get to know Chris because Bill and uh, Chris were not on great terms because Star Trek uh, 2009 had just come out and Bill was not happy that he wasn't in it. You know, Leonard was in it, but Bill was not. Right. Yeah. So uh, basically, I just cornered Chris and said, I need you to do this for me. And sure enough, he said yes. So the only holdout was Avery Brooks. Avery didn't want to do it. Avery had retired from the business and really had no interest in, in, in getting in front of the camera. And um, he just finally, we got everybody else. And he said to Bill, I have to do this, don't I? <laughs> and Bill said, yeah, you kind of do. <laughs> so that's how it came around. But yeah. of course, you know, Avery being the quirky guy he is and I'm, I'm being charitable uh oh my love yeah I well him. you know and 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 it was a fascinating interview in that you know obviously he sits there and plays piano and and kind of it's not what you would expect for the standard sit-down interview and that's right. avery being avery was did did you know that was the direction it was going to go in i mean did you have any expectations there or was it just nope. Not a word, not a, not an inkling. We knew that Kate was going to be, believe it or not, we shot Kate and Avery on the same day. Hmm. We shot Kate in the morning in Manhattan and did a company move down to uh, Princeton, New Jersey, and were able to get Avery down there hmm. all in the same day, which is difficult enough. Yeah. But Avery, we had no inkling whatsoever what we were walking into. And Bill has this brilliance just to scope out a scene and know exactly where he should play it. <laughs> like the walking up the hill. We were driving in. There's a beautiful scene in The Captains where the two of them are just walking up the hill, talking about navigation, this, this beautiful green hill. And he stopped the limo on the way and said, get out, let's shoot that. <laughs> and so there was no planning of any of this. But what happened with the Captain's 90 is Avery came off as a little quirky. 
because sure. with 97 minutes and five, six captains, really, with Chris Pine, you uh, had a lot of ground to cover in 97 minutes. So what we fortunately, we had this opportunity to do the captain's close ups. And I am so proud of those 30 minute iterations. And Avery is beyond the moon over his 30 minute uh, uh, iteration. He loves it. As a matter of fact, I just FedExed him a bunch of uh, Blu-rays so he could have for his children. So oh, really, nice, the nice. 30 well, minutes so gave us the opportunity because we had Canadian funding for the captain. So we were under the onus that we had to make it about Bill. So mm -hmm. even though some people have dinged us, it's too much Bill. Well, we really didn't have a choice, to tell you the truth. You can never have too much Bill. Oh, I agree. But <laughs> said, as you can as you can tell from my career, um, but yeah, we were able in the close-ups to free ourselves of that and just really tell yeah. stories of each of them. And I'm very proud of them. How did um, how did Bill Shatner's attitude toward this whole subject did it change at all during the production of this? Did it expand or? Yes. How, yeah. How did that? Uh, how did that take effect? I think he looked at it when it was originally pitched to him as a great idea commercially, mm -hmm. like kind of a no brainer. You know, these we'll take this iconic figure in this iconic television series and we'll uh, structure a documentary around it. But as he met these people and he found out that they had all of these common themes in their uh, uh, in their development. And all the common training, I mean, he found out that he and Avery had both pay, played tambourine, and all of these unique things. Uh, and they all had a similar attitude toward their company and to the responsibilities of leading a show and what kind of response, the, the, the depth of those responsibilities. So, yeah, I think he, he gained a greater appreciation for all of these iterations of Star Trek, no question. And no question, he developed a, a terrific friendship with all five of them, right. no doubt, no doubt. How much, you know, was he relying, because obviously he had no interest in these other shows, um, was he relying on sort of your research and the researchers, or did he actually um, delve into it at all? Did he look at, at these shows at all in, in terms he of- He looked at you know, some, he, we gave him like uh, greatest hits, for each mm -hmm. series, but when you're dealing with 700 hours of Star Trek, it's impossible, mm -hmm. obviously. So we gave him a greatest hits, but that's what the half hours afforded us right. because we had a little more autonomy on those half hours to delve into specific episodes. Bill rightly is getting more into the personality of the actor, the right. motivation behind the performance. He's dealing in larger issues. Like if you watch the Kate Mulgrew interview, I mean, they're talking about, you know, being stuck on the set and, uh, uh, you know, having a child that's in distress. And do you leave the set? Do you help this child or do you get the work done? And Kate ultimately decides to do the work. And then then there's the infamous story in Voyager of Jean-Vierre Bougeot right. quitting yeah. after two days. I mean, Bill is flummoxed. What actor would quit a job? But Kate is like, no, Bill, I get it. I get precisely why she would do that. Uh, so, yeah, we didn't get into the episode specifics at all with the Captain's 90. Right. It's really in the half hours where you see that. 
Yeah, sure. And, yeah. you know, the thing about Bill is obviously he's so insatiably curious. And um, I mean, that came across in that short lived show he did, Raw Nerve, too. Mm-hmm. Which he's such a good oh, yeah. because he's genuinely interested. That was in, right after the captains, yeah, yeah, and and he, he's a really good interviewer. But you know, going to the point that you made about how he can sort of size up a situation, I thought the key art for the captains, which he sort of seized on, you know, posing in that box, you know, on Broadway, was just very clever. You know, I mean, he, he you know, it's just you know, you Bill, it's Bill being that Bill. one. Oh, what's the story behind it? He told me, he said, David, go find me a box. I don't care where. Yeah, I mean, he. I drove drove to Ikea in Brooklyn to find try to find a box big enough, you know, for him. And he came up with, he came up with all of those ideas, all of them. And then the, the Scott Bakula meeting was literally the first time the two of them had met. We kept them apart mm. uh, the whole morning. And they had never mm. met. And Scott was nervous, nervous. But uh, yeah, Bill came up with all of those openings. Yeah. No, that's yeah. that's that's great. Now I have to ask you because obviously Shatner's talked about this was kind of the in his mind possibly the beginning of the end of his friendship with Leonard when uh, you know he was so persistent with Leonard about being in this documentary. You know, do you, do you have any thoughts about that? I mean, given you know, uh, oh you know, uh, uh, on you know whether or not you know potentially this was sort of the thing that. Well, I can now talk about Leonard. This or, yeah. Well, for years I wasn't able to speak about this, but Bill wrote a book about it and gave an interview, and I like to say that I'm the reason why the two of them didn't speak for the last five years, mm-hmm. uh, because <laughs> Leonard showed up. It was the 2010 Star Trek convention. And it was to be one of their last appearances on stage together. But Leonard was ill. Leonard wasn't feeling well. And he told people, do not let Shatner film me. Under no circumstances is he to film me. And um, Bill said to my camera crew, go ahead and do it anyway. Mm -hmm. We'll get his his, uh, uh, approval later. And so, you know, Bill was the boss. He's the director. We did it. We filmed him. We actually have fitted footage of Leonard going after our camera guy with a microphone, almost knocking him off the stage. Leonard was so angry. Okay. So Leonard, they finish, but Leonard doesn't let on on stage. He's the consummate professional. Right. They have their, uh, their uh, appearance. And then afterwards, I get a note from Richard Arnold. Mr. Nimoy would like to see you in the green room. I said, uh, mm. So I sit down and I basically get torn. You, you wouldn't believe. And he said, who directed this film? Who's directing this film? And I said, Bill Shatner. He said, that's all I need to see. Get out of here. And that was essentially it. Uh, the two of them didn't speak. That was 2010. In 2011, I wanted to at least release some Kirk and Spock uh archival footage from the show mm-hmm. before we release the film. But per SAG rules, you need permission from the actor to use their likeness. So I called Leonard personally. I was dubbed the Leonard negotiator. Mm-hmm. And Leonard and I spoke for an hour. And we must have walked this entire lot. I was on a cell phone twice 
just going back and forth over every insult each of them had felt their entire 50 year history. It was really emotional actually, but I kept very cool and so did Leonard. And at the end of the conversation, Leonard said, I'm sorry, David, but I'm going to have to throw you under the bus. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be in this film. So we had to rush. We had a deadline of Viacom in New York. We had to rush our editors to pull those Spock and Kirk scenes and replace them with Spock and McCoy. So I figure that's end of story. 2011 story comes out. 2014, I get an email. It's from Leonard Nimoy. And it says, sir, perhaps a lunch would be helpful going forward. Mm -hmm. I fall out of my chair. I said, why is Leonard Nimoy emailing me? Our last uh, dealings were not pleasant. And so uh, we ended up speaking. And he said, you know, I never forgot what a gentleman you were during that whole situation and how professionally you handled that being between myself and Bill. And would you now produce a documentary on the character of Spock along with my son. Mm. And I was flabbergasted. I was like, Mr. Nimoy, of course. And then he asked me like, do you think anyone would care? And I laughed. I said, yeah, I, I think we might find a few people who might care. <laughs> and then the sad uh, coda to that story is he passed away rather quickly yeah. after agreeing to do the film. So, yeah. It is. It, it was a sad way to end, but I firmly believe had um, Leonard lived longer, that he and Bill would have men. They would have mended that fence. They would have. Oh, they absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it was. It was a. It was a. It was a roller coaster relationship, yeah. and they had their ups and their downs, and you know they were on a down slope at that time. But eventually, uh, they would have um, mended fences for sure. Well, and it was like it was exclusive. That's the first time I've ever told that story in that detail. We appreciate. Yeah, well, it's that. it's a it's a remark we we do, and it, it's it's a remarkable story, and it's 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 an honest story in terms of the way, you know, of of a friendship of a fifty year friendship. Yeah. You know, you have ups and downs with someone that you're that close with, and you know, unfortunately, you know, that's why when people who weren't privy to what was going on were critical of Shatner not going to the funeral, no, it was no, really no, 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 no. it was so offensive to me that people who knew nothing about the situation would, would, would say that, you know, uh, who are they to, to cast dispersions? Right. I mean, there are reasons that Bill didn't go. And it's not your place to tell, you know, somebody who's in mourning how they should behave. No. And it was just, a, it was appalling to me that whole period of time. Bill behaved exactly the way he should have. He sent his daughters. That mm -hmm. was precisely the right way to go. And Bill participated in our documentary for the love of Spock. Right. Bill gave us an interview, and a very moving interview, as a matter of fact. Well, yeah. I was just going to mention because that Nimoy documentary that you talk about found life uh, in for the love of Spock, which you and Adam directed. And uh, it, it may in a way have been your most successful documentary uh, in, in, in the sense of it played a ton of film festivals. I remember, you know, crossing paths with Adam in Spain where we were both at a... At that's where I Sitges. remember meeting you actually at Sitges. Oh my God. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. At Sitges. Yeah. yeah. And uh, which was, um, and of course I remember it was on, you know, played on planes, on airplanes, always the hallmark. Uh, of Tribeca. Uh, Tribeca, yeah. 
I mean, that was a tremendous success that broke beyond, I think, just the fans and yeah. was, uni- you know, universally kind of embraced because even if somebody didn't know Star Trek, they could understand a son and a daughter, you know, who loved their father and, who, you know, who died and, you know, um, you know, too young. Uh, well, that's and, and kudos who- to Adam Nimoy, because when Leonard first pitched that again, Leonard was alive. It was going to be an exploration of the character spock Mm -hmm. but clearly after he passed it had to become much more than that and Mm -hmm. adam was willing and julie to discuss you know the deep the experience of growing up with an icon and i really think we captured that and yeah i'm i'm very very proud of that film and plus i mean i got to spend two weeks on the set of uh star trek beyond which Mm -hmm. was uh kind of fun Kind of fun. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, the, the, the contemporary Star Trek films, the, the, the J.J. trilogy, sets are great. <laughs> you know, the sets you know I thought he did a uh, nice job. I, I've come to really like those actors. And the actors are great. Polarizing, but uh, that film really did try to pay tribute to Leonard. It I did. Think who, yeah, whoever, whoever you ask about those... Um, even if people have problems with the movies, the problem is not with the casting because the cast is great. Yeah. And they, they do a great job with what they're given. Yeah. Um, I, I, I want to swing back to talking about Shatner a little bit because yeah. I've, I've had a chance to spend some time with him up in uh, Ticonderoga at the Star Trek sets. Up, oh, uh, the uh, recreation of the Enterprise. Yes. And uh, I've, uh, I've been able to talk to him a little bit about the fact that it, to me, is so sad that he never watches stuff that he's in. And that there is no chance for him to even gain a little bit of understanding as to how we feel about him in this role. He won't watch, the only times I've watched Star Trek with him would be premieres of our documentaries. Right. That's it. Bill is strictly news and sports. Yeah. He is a sports fanatic. Yeah. He essentially taught me how to watch Monday Night Football. <laughs> uh, I, I had never seen football in my life, and now I actually understand the game, thanks to Bill. Well, his, yeah. of course, his football parties are, uh, are legendary. Yeah, I've been fortunate enough to be a part of those, yeah. <laughs> he, he's, he's really uh, – it's funny, I – same experience on free enterprise where you know he came to a couple of the festival premieres um but he was like you know i never watch myself i i never you know i'm not interested in seeing myself and he said so you know he said i i think this came out well so i'm gonna come and it was you know quite an honor that he would uh uh he would be there and of course uh i remember uh you know he uh you know and and support the film and 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 actually stayed for the whole film which was really quite a um you know, surprise. it's exciting for us because we know and, and, and a surprise. Um, but uh, and well, you really like, took him at a time when he needed that. Uh, that free enterprise came at the perfect time for him and his career. And I would argue that was the launching point for his later success. Oh, I, mean, I completely I agree. I mean, I've told this story before, but, you know, we got a call from Priceline when we were in production and they said, oh, we hear he sings and he's in a lounge. And he's being self-deprecating and would you yeah. mind sending over some dailies because we're contemplating doing a campaign with him 
And, uh, you know, shortly thereafter, um, uh, you know, they did the famous Priceline campaign with him singing right. and doing all that stuff. And I always joke that, you know, not only did I not get uh, stock options, I didn't even get free plane tickets <laughs> out of that. So uh, but it was um, not, you know, it, it was definitely this is right before the big giant head and third rock. And yeah. you know, at the time he was doing, you know, bad Jeff Speakman movies. And I you remember. Know, he, he was not uh, it was not. Yeah, I mean, at that time, Star Trek was let's face it, it was Patrick Stewart. Absolutely. Yeah. And people didn't realize how funny he was. You know, those of us who'd seen him on Saturday Night Live, who'd seen him on Fridays, who'd seen him before. Yeah, I remember knew, those. Yeah. You know, but a lot of a lot of people did not realize that. Now, I want to ask you in terms of these documentaries, um, obviously, cutting them is a challenge, as we've seen. Uh, you you got a whole miniseries out of uh, the captains, um, ultimately. Um, and even, you know, watching what we left behind like I thought that there were some deleted scenes that were like completely gold, right. That I found utterly fascinating, but you know, I'm not necessarily the target audience, somebody who's completely well-versed in this stuff. So how do you balance sort of targeting the quote unquote super fan or the super Trek enthusiast with a more mainstream audience? Because you, you talked about it a little bit with the captain. We, 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 we talked about the celebrity nature, them as stars, less about yeah. how they make the sausage, but, when you do these deeper dives into these shows, how do you balance that cut and decide what's going to make the final cut? The deeper dive is it's tougher on those shows because you're really preaching to con the, the converted on what we left behind. I mean, I think it's really difficult to cross over. You've really got to appeal to someone that knows deep space nine. And the other thing to keep in mind is we had Ira Steven bear the torchbearer of, I mean, Ira was in this room, this dryer 212. Um, I'd show you the other side, oh, dry erase board and um, a core board. You know, we treated this as a writer's room and move things around. Scenes didn't make it. And really for the first time in my life, I had the benefit to work in a real writer's room. Mm -hmm. So that's how Ira, uh, for Ira, it was always the story, not what will appeal to uh, commercial elements, but how best to tell the story, always. And I think it comes through. And the nice thing about uh, Ira and his love for Deep Space Nine, we're now talking about doing an extended release mm -hmm. of uh, the writer's room and maybe doing oh, great. almost like a primer where people can see the whole thing, but then spliced together with some of the outtakes uh, of the interviews that we've already done. So right. not just four hours of the writer's room, also uh, other moments. And, you know, especially sad from that show is we've lost a couple yeah. uh, people from that cast already. Yeah, I mean, just since you did the documentary, I mean, Aaron and Renee have passed away and it's, yeah. it's really tragic in, in, in both cases. Um, and 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 uh, the um, I, look, I think the, the greatest thing about that documentary is that writer's room. I think that writer's room, the whole oh, what if of it all. I think it's phenomenal. I love the idea that you're uh, contemplating releasing an expanded version of it because I was so hungry for for, for more of that. Well, you come and, from that uh, world. So that would. Yeah. Uh, you know, excite you. But um, I'll never forget walking on the it's always walking on the lot. But it really is. Um, 
and Ira calling me and saying, hey, Dave, what do you think of if I got the writers back together and we broke a mythical season eight? And like, I almost dropped the phone. I mean, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that really made the film. Yeah. And I think it shows you that, you know, you could do Star Trek uh, contemporary in the in the style of vintage classic Star Trek Absolutely. shows like Next Generation Through Space There's Nine, no that it's not passe. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. Yeah, mm -hmm. I don't I don't understand that impulse. I'm hoping it's changing. Uh, I don't know. I don't have any specific uh, knowledge of that. But I agree with you. Why throw away what works? Well, I want to ask you before we talk about Chaos on the Bridge is another fascinating uh, of the Shatner documentaries that's part of this collection that's coming out from Shell Factory. The real trouble in year one is the dictums. How to get a good script out. So the dictums gave the writers a lot of stress and struggle. And then in most cases, Gene would just take the scripts and he would just rewrite them. And these writers were not used to that. And that was very, very frustrating. And a lot of writers left. And the turnover that first season was 30 writers uh, and staff members left the show. The first season of a TV show with that kind of turnover? There was a writer who wrote an episode. He was a huge Star Trek fan. He was so excited. Gene called him to say congratulations. And Gene told him how great it was. The next day, Gene came to him and said, I'm sorry, friend, but we're, having, we're gonna have to part company. And he thought, oh my God, Gene is leaving the show. And then found out that the furniture in his office had been moved into the hallway. And that's how he found out he was fired and he lasted about a week. Uh, and I, you did something different with this one, which of course is these lovely, delightful animated segments mm. to help illustrate what was going on at the time. You know, and some people have, talked about it being, you know, Shatner's revenge on Gene. But look, none of this stuff was not well known. Um, but I thought it, it did a really nice dive because Maurice Hurley is not someone who talked at length about those two years. No, um, and only one interview. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's such great drama that you guys mind from it. Obviously, it's something that I've covered before as well in 50 Year Mission, but um, and by the I, way, I, I think it's you. 50 year mission. We're doing Voyager next. 50 year mission is our Bible. Oh, thank that you. It's so well done. And they're so, so rich. Uh, I, that is required reading for my team. I just wanted to say that. Re required <laughs> reading at the Academy. Well, I, I'm really glad to hear it because like you, who, where the reason the stuff works is because it comes from love. It's not from people yeah, who are exactly. exploiting the IP, you know, to because Star Trek means something and sells, but yeah. genuinely you have a passion for it. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing with our books. We have a passion for it, but we can be dispassionate when we need to be sure. in terms of chronicling the story. And I just think that whole period of, of time, that first two years of Next Generation is so fascinating. And I think the way you went about parsing something that's difficult to understand and if you don't really understand the industry by using the animation and by by it's it, 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 it's it's a really fun documentary but i i felt like there was something missing so i'm very excited about this over out you know i guess it's about an hour of footage that's yeah. on uh, the bonus materials for uh chaos on the bridge well you know we were hamstrung on chaos on the bridge because that was also done with canadian funding 
mm. because Bill is Canadian. And they laid down an edict, one hour, no more. Mm. And we knew we had an, an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. Easy. And that, I mean, the complaint I get about chaos in the bridge, it's too fast. It moves right. too quick. Absolutely. But you'll see in the, I think you'll get a better feel with the Maury Hurley full interview, the Ira full interview, the Patrick Stewart full interview. The Patrick Stewart one's great because yeah. um, John Pike, who used to run TV here, right. uh, gave us the first interview where he kind of throws Patrick under the bus. Yeah, so Bill yeah. says, Patrick, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. you know, John told us his story. Do you want to respond? And Bill was busy at the time. So I was tapped to fly to New York City mm. to sit in front of Patrick and do that interview, which was great because Patrick walked in and said, David, I'll give you five minutes. I've got to go up. I'm doing waiting for Gatto. Uh, uh, you know, I'd say five minutes. And he ended up giving me almost an hour of an interview Mm -hmm. which was terrific talked about all aspects of the next generation david i think i I love that you got john pike i I think that one of the things that is missing from uh chaos on the bridge is uh the voice of gene roddenberry speaking uh from uh, beyond the uh the infinite (laughs) you know what we had in mind actually for that uh we approached rod roddenberry to maybe voice his dad's, uh, you know, uh, readings, but you know, there was some controversial issues there with Gene. So I understand. I like Rod. I understand why Rod maybe wasn't comfortable. Well, I'm, I'm, uh, according to Rod, I'm the official uh, uh, Roddenberry impersonator to him. So no, yeah, I hear uh, that. <laughs> next time, I'll buy that. <laughs> but that, uh, yeah, and, and look, it's it's always tough. Because Rod is such a sweet guy, we all yeah, love him, and 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 uh, so sometimes when things come up about his father, um, yeah, you feel bad because nobody wants to hear something about their father. No. But you know, look for, for 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 the time for whatever negativity there is about Gene, you can't take away it's the enormous accomplishment and yeah. the ninety percent of things he did right, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it was a different time and, the and thing he was about larger it, than life. And God the bless thing him. about it is that everything that I hear about Roddenberry's, you know, frailties or humanity or, you know, his, his imperfectness um, is, makes me feel even better about him. Yeah. You know, it, it makes me feel like he was struggling with the same problems that everybody does. And still he accomplished this amazing thing. So I gotta say, it's Ira's, all, it's all good. Ira's story in Chaos and the Bridge is one of the funniest things I've ever heard. So go back and listen to that. <laughs> well, you're so lucky to have somebody like Ira Bear oh, because Ira Bear is no bullshit. Always tell you so many people in Hollywood, they're always worried about where their next job's coming from. So no way. never want to throw anybody on, you know. But I Ira, doubting mass matches. I'm surprised I didn't get thrown out of these offices. <laughs> these offices during uh deep space nine because we were stuck in here for like once we got that indiegogo financing you know first we thought that what we left behind was just going to be a little documentary Mm -hmm. maybe one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. we got seven seven hundred thousand so we're all like holy Mm -hmm. shit we got to make a movie here so things got really serious really fast but it was all from the place of the good of the movie that's the thing about ira 
never got personal. It was the passion he had for that project. And I had the same passion because back in the 90s, Deep Space Nine, that was my show. No yeah. doubt. I was into I, it. I, and right. Ira always believed that this film that deep space nine would have a second life even when you know the ratings weren't great and people were saying oh it doesn't go anywhere and all this stuff he always believed even back then that ah. the show would be rediscovered and it has been i mean yeah obviously your documentary was a big part of that and uh you know but people now you know talk about it you know in a much more uh um you know on honoring the show and, and with a lot more love for it and obviously the serialized nature of it, but the more adult, the more sophisticated storytelling. I mean, it's a really beloved show and it took a while to get there, but it seems that it has gotten there. And I, I, which brings me to something I'm really fascinated about, which is the new life Voyager has gotten. You're in the midst of uh, filming a new uh, documentary about Voyager. I know Eagle Moss just released a, a new book about uh, of Voyager, and it's really fascinating. And I've told yeah, this story Robinson many times. Actually, contributed a lot of the research. Yeah, he was terrific. Yeah, we uh, love Ben. Ben is awesome. Um, you know, I had said I was done with Star Trek documentaries after what we left behind. It's like, how do you top that? Right. And then, uh, thanks to CBS, they allowed me to go on the Star Trek cruise, which left on March first of twenty twenty one. Got back just in on. time for COVID. Exactly. So COVID was just hitting. Literally the day we returned, they shut down the cruise industry. Mm -hmm. So there will now not be another cruise for, for at least two years. Not another convention till at least next year. So we got the only group of Voyager actors together for the 25th anniversary. And not only that, CBS and Norwegian gave us unlimited access to that ship. We have Kate Mulgrew on the bridge. We have Ethan Peck as Spock and Bob Picardo as the doctor on excursions. Garrett on an excursion underwater. We're filming underwater. I mean, these are things we've never been able to do in documentaries. So I already have so much. Just from that week, I mean, we spent eight hours of 18, 19 hour days shooting. I don't think we left anything on the table. And since that, we've interviewed Garrett again, Robbie again, uh, Tim, uh, we're a Brannon. We're about to interview Jerry Taylor. Rick Berman has said yes. So virtually everyone has said yes. So I think we have a shot. It'll be next year, clearly, with mm -hmm. all the delays. But I think we have a shot to make this as definitive as what we left behind. So I'm yeah. pretty excited. Why do you think suddenly Deep, uh, rather Voyager, I mean, has found this new audience? I, you know, the, the statistics on Netflix are it's the most streamed show on Netflix um, of the Star Trek show. And this was not a show that in any way was beloved at the time no. that it was out. And now it seems that people... Um, a really fat and I, I you know i've been trying to figure it out myself because i've gone back on time to time to watch the show to try and sort of discover what it is that people love about it and uh i'm curious what your perspective is on well, this new life i'll tell you what major issue what i'm seeing and i underestimated but now i see the fan base is the, the women in positions of power mm -hmm. strong women my god they were ahead of the curve there so that's number one. Number two, and this maybe sounds a little contrite, but I think people miss home. Mm -hmm. 
just as a general concept. Mm -hmm. And that show is all about searching for home, about getting home. And I think people today are responding to that. Mm -hmm. So I don't really have any evidence for that second one, but for sure the first one. Well, sure. I'll be very interested to see if you can get Stacey Abrams and AOC to talk for the documentary, you know, two huge Voyager fans yeah, and Star Trek fans. Well, yeah. Absolutely. We're going to try. They're on our radar. Trust me. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. It's, it, I mean, it's been fascinating to, to see, you know, all the Star Trek fans out there who are, you know, uh, uh, professed uh, uh, Trek fans. You know, we all knew about uh, Cory Booker, but now it's like it seems there are a lot more Star Trek fans out there in politics than, than we knew about. And I've been um, told uh, Hillary Clinton and Chelsea Clinton at the time huh. were big Janeway fans. I had, that I hadn't heard. That's interesting. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, uh, my main absolutely. question is, do I wait for the uh, distributors to get moving or do we try another crowdfunding? Now, this is a risky world for crowdfunding. Mm -hmm. However, I have a lot of fans that are saying, hey, crowdfund, we, you guys are great. We want you to do another crowdfund. Right. So we're internally discussing that now. And you have right. a, a, good, a, a good outcome from the uh, what we left behind. Uh, and Spock. So, and, and, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I think that you have, uh, you have an audience that is ready and waiting. Yeah, it gives us autonomy for sure, right. which is what well, I like. Well, let me ask you before we wrap this up. So, yeah. you know, the holidays are coming. You know, people have uh, not as much disposable income as they'd like, sadly, because of the. So why don't you make the pitch for why they should be uh, picking up uh, Captain's Collection this Christmas or Hanukkah or Kwanzaa or Chris, uh, what is it, Festivus? Uh, the rest of us. Tell us just the, in a nutshell what, you know, why you're so proud of this new edition and why it belongs on a Star Trek fan shelf. Well, this represents uh, 12 years of work. Um, you have special features here. Again, I mean, three hours of special features you'd never see anywhere else again. Just a few of them. Maury Hurley, who since passed away. Yeah. Grace Lee Whitney, mm -hmm. who is a legend, as we all know, in Star Trek, really... Uh, give some intimate details about her experience of what happened. Uh, Patrick Stewart, uh, Avery Brooks, remarkably, this is Avery Brooks' last appearance. And that was filmed in 2011 was the last thing we did with him. Mm -hmm. And I speak to him quite frequently. I don't think he's going to be doing anything again. So this is really uh, the fans' last chance to see him. But it's really William Shatner coming to terms with this, you know, this this defined his life. I mean, even he'll tell you that. Mm -hmm. And there's really very few people that can appreciate that. And he went out and found the people that could. So I think um, there's just endless entertainment on here and it'll keep you busy for well over eight hours. So... Uh, <laughs> How's that for a pitch? There you go. Sold. That's good. And, you, you know, you, you got Shatner at the right time because there was a time in his career where he wanted nothing to do with Star Trek. Yeah. And, and it's only in the last 15 years, 20 years, where he started to accept it and, yeah. and realize that maybe this isn't such a bad thing. And, uh, well, you know, captains, it's great that you I could think capture it. really kind of brought him in. I mean, when we premiered the Captains in New York, 
we are you guys familiar with the Intrepid on of the of course uh, yeah, Intrepid yeah, on the Hudson yeah where they have the they also have the uh, the submarine now there yeah. they had the yeah the, I love the Intrepid it's a great museum I thought you meant the old Vulcan starship that was oh, the destroyed <laughs> thousands of people in Starfleet uniforms on that bridge of the Intrepid watching the premiere of this film mm. and Bill looked at me and said David this is beautiful you'll never see this again and then we did the same thing right next door here at Hollywood Forever. Yeah. Thousands of people. So, yeah, I think he. then we went down to Comic-Con and then he really get a life doesn't get its love, but he really explores what it means to be a Star Trek fan. Mm -hmm. He agrees that he dismissed them at first to get a life. And then he really took the time to delve into what makes these people come to these conventions year after right. year after year. Can you imagine how I feel after being in hundreds of Star Trek conventions and asking myself, who are these people? Las Vegas, four days, 20,000 fans, 100 celebrities all congregating under one roof. This is the grand nexus of Star Trek conventions. My name is Maxi Panning, and I'm here for the convention from Germany. I met my wife here, and what got us together was our mutual interest in Star Trek. When Dave was 15 and a half years old, he just fell in love with Star Trek. People choosing careers and getting married, all because of their love of Star Trek. See, I thought I got it, but I didn't get it. I never fully comprehended the levels to which this science fiction show reached into the souls of people. So, yeah, it's a really interesting exploration of his career throughout. And Chaos on the Bridge is simply, I just kept pitching him the idea and saying, no, no, no. But finally, he said, yeah, you know what, let's do it. And then he was blown away by, oh, my God, look what was going on behind the scenes. 30 writers in, the, in one of the bathrooms that had all been fired in one year. So, Bill, I did not have to. Once Bill was off with that theme of the poker playing and the yeah. animation, Bill was off. So, yeah, it was just a great collaboration. And it comes it cheaper than therapy for him. So that's yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, I'll say that. Yeah, but he also had a good friendship with Maurice Hurley because Maurice Hurley had run uh, Kung Fu, yeah. uh, The Legend Continues, because they had met, I guess, when he was developing the script for Generations that never got made. And then yeah. Shatner ended up directing some episodes for him. And uh, so, yeah, so they had a, a good relationship more, even before. They hadn't seen each other. This brought the two of them back together. Yeah, it was great. It was great. Yeah, and then, and then Maury died a few years, not yeah. a few, few years, a few months after the, you know, so, this came uh, out. You were the last people to get him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Maury so. used to. Well, David, this has been. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say one last thing. Maury was a very intimidating guy, and he'd get. We'd be at Shatner's football uh, get-togethers, and he would corner me. You know, so where are we with, with the edit? How are you handling <laughs> this? And the sweat would just start to pour down my forehead. Because Maury, <laughs> so he hadn't lost a step, but I loved him. He was great, great guy, great guy. It's because you didn't work for him, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, anyway, David, this is great. I'm so glad that we had you on the show and yeah, people could too. order this directly from Shout Factory or, you know, Amazon or wherever you get these. But the bonus, the extra, extra bonus material is available directly if you order it from Shout Factory, shoutfactory.com. And you'll get uh, a, a ton of new bonus material. You get the Has Been album on vinyl, which is a limited edition, a thousand copies. So you want to get that uh, while it's still available. And right. we'll look forward to your Voyager documentary. I'm always fascinated. Yeah. I'll reach you. out. You guys, again, have been so helpful to us with the 50-year mission. I'd love to come back and talk about Voyager. Great. Sounds Just like as fun. long as I don't have to sing. As long as I don't have to <laughs> sing. You don't have to sing. My, okay, fine. I promise you. I think Deep Space Nine was enough singing for, for the rest of the documentary. <laughs> <laughs> Tell that to Max. Okay. Anyway, David. <laughs> yeah, I know. Anyway, it's really been a, been a pleasure. And, uh, yeah, we'll talk to you when uh, when Voyager's ready to to... to Come out of dry dock, as they say. So right. uh, thanks so much. And we'll talk thanks, to you soon. David. Okay, right, David. Bye. Bye, guys. Yeah. Uh, you know, that was a, a really interesting thing. And I'm really glad to see what a big fan David is having grown up on Star Trek watching on WPIX Channel sure. 11 in New York. Uh, you know, I'm not a fan of these cash in documentaries that people do. Uh, you know, I, I I did a documentary for History Channel a couple of years ago mm -hmm. uh, with uh, the Nacelle Corporation, Nacelle Company. You could tell they're fans uh, <laughs> because they're called the Nacelle Company. And uh, that was called, um, it was called, I don't even know what it was called. I don't even remember. It was, oh a, a it was a documentary about Star Trek. But the thing I kept saying is this, you can't just do the usual, there's a way people do these. And this is actually fans who are working on it. We, right. we have to deeper we have to talk you can't to people just that, do the people press release talk. you can't do the press release that you know 50 years ago gene roddenberry created something a, fantastic he had a and vision to be and with that us. vision was and, star yeah. trek <laughs> and then here's some fans talking about how much they love it and they grok spock and he he's like it, I, you know we beat it down a wagon to the train to the stars and it sure was and and now we're beaming down to the Star Trek convention in Des Moines, where the fans are showing how much they grog Spock. And it's like, oh, stop. You know, and the thing that you can say about David's documentaries is they come from a place of love. And I think that they, you know, do a deeper dive. And, you know, there's a more fundamental understanding of what people like about Star Trek than, you know, a lot of these sort of cash and things that I've seen in the past. Like the, you know, these belong in a fan's collection. They're interesting. Some of the bonus material, and I've talked about this before, like in what we left behind, there's some great deleted scenes that are even more informative than the stuff that went in the documentaries. Yeah. Um, I'm really looking forward to checking out the captain's close-ups. It sounds like there's some really great additional material that wasn't in the captain's documentary. He's no penny any operator, that's for sure. <laughs> no, not at, not at all. And of course, uh, you know, David, uh, you know, shared with us uh, the, the the really sad story of Shatner and Nimoy's falling out, which is you know obviously something uh, that people have talked about in the past, and mm -hmm. I think gave us a lot more insight into what happened there. So Absolutely. that was that was really interesting. Um, but people can check uh, check out these documentaries themselves and decide what they think. Um, but it was great having uh, Dave on the show. And I'm sure once his Voyager documentary comes out, we'll have him back to talk about that if we're still doing the show in two years. Right. Are we still going to be doing the show in two years? Tell me we're not, you know, please. <laughs> I don't know. I, if, if you had asked us if we, were, we would be doing it two years after we started, I would have said probably not. But yet here we are. Here we are in the third season. <laughs> Make, cancel us, please. <laughs> um anyway i you know I, I mean and it's funny because like i i'm so ready to be done and then 
something gets me excited about Star Trek again, or, you know, we read these things that the fans send us or our listeners send us. I don't want to call it fans. It sounds derogatory. The listeners sent us. And, um, and, and they're so, you know, they talk about how, you know, they look forward to, you know, the show every week and, 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 you know, all the stuff. And then like, no, we have to keep doing this. We have, yeah. you know, it's not, uh, you know, because people are really, are really digging it. And, you know, I think we're, we're examining areas of the Star Trek universe. That, if not us, who? Right. You know, no, yeah, one's, no one's no one's no one's going to talk about this stuff, and and we're 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 committing it to posterity, and I think it's important. You know, when we talk about Gene Kuhn, when we talk about um, you know a lot of these things that don't normally get the love, it's what we're talking about. You know, uh, so so it's important that we continue to do, you know, what we do. You the know, it is in a way we really love talking about Star Trek. I think that's the basic problem here. <laughs> that is the basic problem. The problem is we love talking about Star Trek. And when we were younger, we could do it over drinks at a bar. Oh. And as we get older, that becomes less, not less appealing. It becomes less logistically yeah. um, uh, we're realistic. We're all too busy. We're all too busy to do it. I mean, we're basically, we're almost too busy to do this. So, yeah, you know. right. <laughs> and, and I think it's sort of a fall from like we would all hang out over drinks and have these conversations and now we hang out over zoom and have these conversations so uh so anyway but this was great always a pleasure to see you and we'll be back uh with an all new episode of inglorious Transfers next week um i want to thank our very uh, uh special sound engineer who's working to make a sound tip top like top men uh bill ritter he, challenging task on zoom to make these things uh sing uh it's not like we're in the studio but he's doing uh, he's doing a great job and we're so appreciative to bill and our entire team our production coordinator peter holmstrom who's uh, helping uh, pull the research materials and clips and uh helping to schedule some of these interviews so thank you peter thank you bill our producer natalie miscali benefactor dean devlin and of course if you're a fan of the show you can check it out on the electric now app which is available to download from any app store it's a free app where you can download and watch episodes of Inglorious Trexperts, our other electric search podcasts, as well as episodes of shows like Leverage, The Outpost, and many other things. So it's really worth checking out. It's only going to get bigger and better as time goes on, and uh, you should check it out. It's a great way to watch the show. And um, uh, I encourage you to listen to our other electric search podcast. The guys at uh, Best Movies Never Made have been never been better, uh, doing some amazing shows about Films that never saw the light of projector bulb. Disco Nights is back uh, with Chase Masterson and uh, a new co-host Ryan Britt. Ryan's a journalist, much as I was uh, back in the day, um, and I think they're gonna look. We, we, we really want that to become the inglorious Trexperts of New Trek, and obviously that's not something that Darren and I were in a position to do or interested in doing. Um, you know, our show. First and foremost is a show that celebrates a love of Star Trek. So we needed to find people who love new Star Trek as much as we love what I now call vintage Star Trek. Because right. classic Star Trek is TOS, right? right? Vintage Star Trek is TOS, Deep Space Nine, and The Next Generation. That's right. vintage Star Trek. So we celebrate vintage Star Trek and Voyager and Enterprise. Right. Disco right. Nights is all about new Trek in all its iterations. And I'll be interested in hearing what they have to say. Yes, as will I. Yeah. So, and I think, you know, Chase 
and Ryan are going to be a great team. And you're going to love them. So you should give uh, Disco Knights a listen. If you're a fan of, uh, of New Trek, even if you're not a fan of New Trek, you might find it interesting to hear um, their um, observations about uh, Discovery Season 3, Picard, and uh, what are the other shows? There's a cartoon. Well, I don't even know what that there's is. Lo- there's Lower Decks. La, yeah, yeah, that's it. There is uh, there's the f- a couple of forthcoming shows, perhaps. Uh, they got the little shorts, two. the short tracks, the, the sure. short films. There's a whole mess of stuff for you to enjoy. A whole mess of stuff. And you can listen to it on Disco Nights, where they'll be talking about all those shows in depth. And, and uh, again, you know, these shows are about celebrating the love. There's a lot of ne- negativity out there. And we're not going to fan the flames of, of negativity. We're going to celebrate what we love. And, uh, you know, a couple of people say, oh, why don't you cover these new shows on, on, on your show? Uh, yeah, because we don't have to. <laughs> we can cover whatever the hell we want. And yeah. you can listen to whatever you want. And, uh, you know, it's, we're going to cover. It's all good. The There's stuff plenty love. of love to go around. Absolutely. And uh, I, I think this is a really fun episode. And we got a lot more fun episodes planned. We got some great guests coming up in the coming weeks. Indeed. Uh, and we're going to. Maybe, you know, love to hear what you thought of last week's stage reading. If that, uh, if, if you, if you like that as much as we think you might've, um, maybe we, we have, uh, we can do more, more and more of that in the future. Um, so, you know, that would be helpful, you know, to reach out on Twitter and just let us know what episodes are your favorites. Do you like when we interview somebody like, uh, you know, would you, do you prefer when we, we talk about episodes? Uh, do you, you know, is the stage readings your bag? You know, what, what is it you love about Inglorious Trexperts? Because yeah. that will like, help us. Do you like us just hanging around and talking about general Star Trek and having no clue whatsoever what we're talking about? If like you now? like that, let us know. <laughs> because uh, that's something um, we got to start thinking about our 2021 schedule, believe it or not. And oh it God. would really help to know what you want to see or hear on yeah. upcoming episodes of Inglorious Trexperts. Plus so we anyway, need some ideas too, so... <laughs> because we've done three years of this shit and we're running out of ideas um so anyway it's it's been a pleasure darren i'll see you next week here back here and of course check out the 430 movie which is back with all new episodes every friday um until they're not until they're not until (laughs) until it's not but for the moment every friday sort of and of course new episodes of inglorious trexperts in its new time 10 o'clock friday nights wherever you listen to podcasts. So same time, ba- same station. <laughs> so on behalf of Darren Doctorman, myself, and whatever I'm drinking, uh, I'd like to thank you for joining us and we'll uh, we'll see you next time. Keep on trekking and gloriously, of course. Engage. Has been- What'd you say your name is? Jack. Never done Jack. Glad to meet you. Who's your friend? Dick. Don't say Dick. What do you know? And you, friend, what's your handle? Don. Two thumbs down. Riding on their own chairs. They dream of wealth and fame. Here is their companion. Nintendo. 
Jack and two thumbs down and sidekick don't say dick We'll laugh at others' failures Though they have not done shit I heard of you The ready made Connecting with the ever ready Yeah Never was talking about Still trying I got it Forever bitter Gossiping about Never say die May I inquire What you've been doing Mr. Jack Never done Jack And you partner What's the news of the world Dick I don't say Dick Don Of all the people You must be the tattler Two thumbs up What are you afraid of Failure So am I Has been. Has been implies failure. Has Not so. Has been's history. Has been. Has been. Was. Has been. Might again. This show is produced by Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman and is an Electric Surge Network production.